Welcome to church. We're really glad you're here today. Really glad you're here. We got a full house in church. See you, Balcony. Love you. See you online, church. Glad you're tuned in today. Um, if you're wondering, it's my wife who's been praying for snow. Um, we set the record for the longest season yet without more than two centimeters. And then my wife changed all that with her prayers. So I was just like, babe, if you're going to pray, I, I can't stop her from praying. So I just directed it. I was like, just pray. It doesn't happen on Sundays. So middle of the week, bring it more, Lord. Just not on Sundays. And everybody said, amen, amen. Where's Fernando at? Fernando, you're, come on up. Can you help Fernando get up on stage here, Fernando? Yeah. See, they don't even know why they're clapping. Just the name Fernando. Um, one of my favorite songs is about Fernando. Any ABBA fans in the place? All right. Thank you for taking a chance on me. Did you get that joke? Okay, yeah. Uh, Fernando is a great friend, uh, part of our church. Uh, love his wife, Monica, and Josue, and Juanita. Where's, where's your wife at? Is she, is she here? Are you waving down there? Is that, is that Juanita? Is that Juanita? Is that, yeah, yes. Moved here from where in Colombia? In Bogota. Bogota, Colombia. Um, we are having a family dinner here in two weeks. If you're wondering how that's going to go, there's going to be no kids ministry that week. We're going to come in, we're going to worship for a little bit, and then we're going to go eat. Just, it's going to be, um, you, you know, you're going to sing for your supper is what you're going to do. We're going to sing, and we're just going to eat. And uh, it's based out of this series, Tables, but we just want to enjoy each other. And I was even meeting people in the lobby today. I'm like, we need more time to sit down and hear stories. But what I'm excited about, we were in the prayer room this week at the, church, at the office. We, uh, you come to Friday morning men's prayer. And what stuck out to me is not the prayers that we were praying, was you told me what you're bringing to the family dinner. Yeah. And, I, and I wanted to repeat it, but I have a very Halifax tongue. I can't say words. What are you bringing to the family dinner? Uh, remember, it's food from heaven because my wife cooked, yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, 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 the Latin American, we are so romantic. Yeah? Oh, <laughs> okay, all right. Is he romantic, Monica? Is he romantic? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, Pastor, we bring empanadas colombianas. I don't even know what that is, but I want seconds. I want all of it. What's your favorite meal that your wife makes? Ooh, all, Pastor, all. You're a smart man. <laughs> thank, you so, thank you so much. Empanadas. I, I, I hit a panada. I, I hit a, I hit a, a pin, pinata once, but I'm going to eat empanadas. My tongue doesn't do it. Um, two weeks. Listen, if you want to say, I want to bring something, it might not be as cool as that. It might be something like lasagna or KFC. <laughs> Taco Bella. Um, just sign up. At, in the lobby, there is the, um, at the Guest Central wall. Guest Central will help you. We have these iPads. And we can just have a link there. You can sign up. Um, it's just going to be so much fun. The smell of food out there and laughter and being together. It's going to be so good. And I really hope you come. It's going to be an amazing, amazing time. Um, anybody see a billboard on Bedford Highway that's on the waterfront? Yeah. Just, you know what? We're just believing just we're a bunch of nobodies telling everybody about somebody that changed our lives. And we actually don't care what church they go to. Just go to church. Just go to church. And um, would you just keep praying for that? Um, that you just be a positive thing to start conversations with people. Um, and we'll believe more people be in the house of God. Amen? Amen. We're in a series. We want to turn to John chapter 2. If you have your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we do have free Bibles you can have. You can keep in the lobby. Just take one uh, and keep that. We ask that you just you read it, highlight it, make it your own. Uh, if you have your Bible, John chapter 2. Uh, we're in a series called Tables right now tables when when Jesus pulls out a chair uh, 
to your life. And uh, we're talking about hospitality, radical hospitality in the church and how it's designed by God to change our lives, our church's lives, our city's lives, and I believe even beyond into our world. Um, much of this series is borrowed heavily from a sermon series out of a church called Bridgetown in Portland that is so inspiring, so helpful, and so healthy. And uh, we're believing today you're going to be encouraged. John chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 1. If you're there, say, hey. Brian, can I get some water, please? Thank you so much. John chapter uh, 1, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. Talking about a wedding. A wedding, thank you so much. Round of applause for Brian, my friends. Yeah. Brian is training for triathlons. I do marathons on Netflix. Um, he was swimming today. You're in the swimming part training today, so thank you so much. John chapter 2, verse 1. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Verse 4, dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Another version says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Men, side note, never talk to your wife that way. Uh, never talk to your mother that way. I remember once my mother woke me up and I said, I actually quoted. I was like, John chapter 2, verse 4, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? That did not go over well. I was a very, very, it was a, I was trying to be funny at age 15. It did not go over well. It's actually an endearing term here in the original language. Jesus is being very endearing to his mother. He's like, woman, it's not our problem. My time has not yet come. It's not time for me to do miracles. I've not been anointed. I've not been baptized. I've not gone and started my ministry the way with fasting and filling of the Holy Spirit. My time has not yet come. This is not the plan. The first miracle is not this. We have a, we have a, a plan from heaven, but how many, I love that even God is subject to a mother's prayers and a mother's requests. Mothers, never underestimate the power of your prayers, your requests, and you calling out to God. It changes things. His mother here says, you got to do something about this. And Jesus says, my time has not yet come. Verse 5, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. New King James says, whatever he says, just do it. I like to think that's where Nike got their strategy from. Just, whatever he says, just do it. Standing nearby, there were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold uh, 20 to 30 gallons of fluid. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, although the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has a lot to drink, and they don't realize what they're drinking at that point, they have no more, um, they're not able to tell the difference, he brings out the less expensive wine to save money. But you have kept the best until the end. Verse 11, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This morning, just for a few minutes left, uh, allotted to me. I want to talk on this topic as we're in this series called Tables. If you're writing down notes, just take this title down somewhere. Happy Meal. Write that down somewhere. Happy Meal. Remember people that love Happy Meals? 
who are still eating Happy Meals, do not judge me. Come on, I still go for the toy. Come on, somebody. And the apple slices are not right. It's got to be fries. Happy Meals. Happy Meals. Look at your neighbor and say, I want a Happy Meal. Yes, you do. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for these amazing people that have tuned in, that are here in person. And God, we ask for your presence. Holy Spirit, would you come today? Would you make much of Jesus? Would you meet us right where we are? Right where we are. Behind our smiles and, um, and our great outfits and our coffee. Would you cut right down to our hearts? And would you just bless us with life today? We love you, Jesus. We love you so much. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word. Thank you for the opportunity to see faces and friends and new friends. Thank you for this community we have. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a, 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 te, a, a tension in culture right now. And I know you felt it, whether you verbalized it or not, is that on the outwards, and we've been talking about this the last few weeks, that everything's fine. That uh, image is everything's fine. But internally, as a culture, there's so much struggling. There's this outward signs that everything's fine versus the reality of so much anxiety and depression. And I'm not being negative and I'm not stating something you don't know. Um, but in my conversations and my experiences, we've never dealt with more anxiety and depression and worry. But we've also never seen like there's never been more of an outward of everything's fine, everything's fine. And there's this tension in culture where everything looks like it's beautiful and, and, and choreographed and posted and smiles and, and everything is, image looks really healthy, but internally, um, there's such anxiety and depression and it's the tension we have in our culture. I was looking up some more stats because I just find stats speak so much to, um, puts a finger on our culture. This is a, a stat from the States, which I thought was staggering. It says the number of Antidepressant items prescribed over the last past six years has increased. Antidepressants has been prescribed over the past six years has increased by 34.8%. From this is the states from 62 million items in 2015 to last year to 83 million items of prescriptions. Some Canadian stats. Angus Reid poll found this was in January last year. So this, this stat's a year old. I would probably say it's on the same trend. But Angus Reid poll found that one-third of Canadians say they're dealing with mental health issues. One-third. With 23% of respondents saying they are depressed. That's one in four. That's on average. I have even read that there's, it's even, um, even worse, even on the, on the East Coast, that we have a higher stats in some of these things. 48% of Canadians say they're feeling fatigued. Probably another 12% that was too tired to answer the survey, but we didn't open it. 40% say they're frustrated. 37% say they're feeling anxious. I can relate to a lot of these. 50% of respondents say alcohol abuse is a problem among their social circle, and 35% say drug abuse is a prevalent issue. 50% of people in their circles say, in my friend group, alcohol abuse is a problem, speaking to coping and numbing and a bigger problem. And behind the smiles and the posts and the vacations and all this, there's a deep sadness, anxiety, and depression. And it's not supposed to be this way. So you have to understand that we're, and most of you get this because we're Jesus followers in this room, which we're not just church attenders. And that term has been so 
so watered down going to church that we have to sharpen it and focus it again. Jesus followers. There's something different between saying even a Christian. We've used that term so much in culture. But as Jesus followers, we believe that the God that made us is a God that can help us. And there's a design and a purpose for our lives. You need to know that in the middle of this, this works, Jesus works, this works in this culture with, with, with a high percentage of anxiety and depression and substance abuse, this works. This isn't just Sunday school that works with nice people in nice suits with nice music, and it doesn't work out there. This works. Jesus works. Faith works in the toughest of places. And if this is a problem in the church and outside the church, I identify with some of these statistics of anxiety and fear and, and, and pressure and fatigue. If it's real... And it is, is it possible that we're missing something from God's design for our life? See, when we picture Jesus, I don't know, through, through, through art and through, through media and maybe just through history, we picture Jesus as this thin, white, sad person, just very solemn with a big bathrobe on. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, with flowing hair but solemn eyes, just reaching for people, which is ironic that we picture him as this thin, white, sad person because Bible actually calls him, some called him a glutton, so I don't know if he was that thin. I looked at him and go, that guy eats a lot of empanadas right there. Says, you know, we picture this as very pale, but ironic that he was Jewish, grew up in the Middle East. In fact, his childhood was in North Africa. He wasn't white, and we had this picture of him being this very sad, solemn person. It's interesting, Jesus was prophesied Hundreds, if not thousands of years before he arrived, the Son of God was prophesied about. Watch this one in Psalm 45, verse 7. This prophecy about the Son of Man, about Jesus showing up. This is what the, uh, heaven, uh, ins uh, men inspired by heaven to write about him, describing him. It says, talking about Jesus, you will love justice and hate evil. That's true. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. Speaking of Jesus, look at this. Pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. The oil of joy on you more than anyone else. Eugene Peterson translates it this way. Jesus was the happiest man alive. That's a statement right there. The Jesus that we follow, give our life to, we're obsessed with. Scripture says he was the happiest man alive alive. I don't know if you know happy people. When I think of happy people, there's two people that come to mind. I think of happy people. Just think right now of someone in your life, they're just happy all the time. One is Andrew Yaden. I know he's in this room. Andrew Yaden is just happy. I have seen him in snowstorms with no one around, didn't know anybody was watching him, not for show, singing, do you want to build a snowman? I, I am not making this up. I've seen him do it. Building a snowman in the middle of the city just for pure joy, giggling. Giggling with snow. I'm like, you're the happiest man alive. There's another one, a person in our church named Heather, Heather Stevens. Anybody know Heather? Here's that entrepreneur, a businesswoman opening coffee shops, dealing with employees and, 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 and lack of um, um, people to work and schedules and navigating um, orders and, and, and starting businesses and rent and, and, and all this stuff. And when you meet Heather, you're like, you are the happiest person Alive. It says that Jesus was the happiest man alive, happiest person alive. Jesus was the embodiment of happiness and joy. This is important today. 
Because how you see Jesus determines how you'll receive him. And I think something has to shift in our lives that we see that Jesus was, uh, was the embodiment of joy, and it's a part of our assignment that he has for our lives. Most of us would not look to Jesus for direction on happiness. Purity, yes. Faith, yes. Prayer, yes. Miracles, yes. I don't know if I have thought about Jesus as the director or my go-to for happiness. In John 2, we just read, it's interesting, let me read the NIV version of chapter 11, of verse 11 of John chapter 2. It says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. Through these signs, signs always point to direction. We just saw a billboard. It's a sign, a direction that there's a church that's that wants you to show up, we are inviting you, and here's how you can find the information. My daughter just got her learners, her beginners, and she had to study the signs. Why? Because signs point direction you can go. And it says these, this was the first of the signs, Jesus' first sign. It also revealed his glory. Another word for glory would be his purpose or his presence. That the very first sign that Jesus did that directed people to his glory and his presence was not a healing. It was not calling someone into ministry, follow me. It was not raising someone from the dead. His first sign that pointed to his purpose and his glory was catering a party. That's fascinating. His very first miracle, his first thing where he used the power of heaven, where the world would know it would be recorded, what's the first thing he did is he catered a party, a celebration, and it pointed to his purpose and his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This story is a pointer to the reality of what Jesus is like, and some of us need to reshape of what we think about Jesus. Jesus was the kind of person who tops the lists of who you invited to parties. That's who Jesus was. Some of us have this somber Jesus, this stoic Jesus. He was the guy that was the top. If you're, if you're having a party or a celebration, you want that guy. We all have that guy. You know that girl, that, that person that's just going to be a great conversationalist. They got the best stories. You know what I'm saying? They bring the best playlist. They have the, the best atmosphere. Jesus topped that list. He also stays till the end of the wedding. That's who Jesus was. He's like, if the party's still happening, I'm going to be there. Me and my wife have a nickname. You've heard of, you've heard of wedding crashers? Have you heard of wedding crashers? Have you seen this? Like people that show up to weddings just because they love weddings. We're the wedding dashers, which means we can't wait. We love marriage, marriage. We love marriage. We love, we love love. But like as soon as we can leave a wedding, we out. We out, you know? So much so we're famous for it that when we stick around to the end, they're like, oh, you're still here. I'm like, yeah, I actually married the couple. I kind of have to. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I have to be here. We, we, true story. We'll be eating meals. And I'll be texting her going, I'm going to the bathroom. We, I, we would leave our coats outside so we didn't have to come back for them. Because we knew, we're like, I'm like, I'm going to the bathroom. I'm not coming back. On the count of three, go. She's like, it's too soon. There's been no toasts. There's been nothing. I'm like, they haven't cut the cake. I'm like, I am leaving with or without you. True story. We're the wedding dashers. Jesus was the guy that stayed till the end. Jesus, he actually caters to keep the party going. That's how much Jesus was into celebrations. He's like, you know what? I can affect this thing. Let's keep the party going one more time. Let's keep going for another hour. I'm going to cater this thing. That's who Jesus was. Joy was central to Jesus' teaching. I'll be honest, this series is opening my eyes and teaching me, and I'm walking through this. I said to Nancy, I said, I'm having a hard time preaching this tomorrow. 
I say because I believe it, I see parts of it, but there's many parts I am navigating and wrestling with. And as I was studying and preparing, I felt my heart leaning and, and, and responding, going, is it possible that in the pandemic that we have of anxiety and depression and sadness, where image is everything, but there, there's pressure, is it possible that God has a plan and a design to help us as a culture? Joy was central to Jesus' teachings. John 15, 11. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. The original wording there was full to the brim, like right to the top, the way I like my coffee in the mornings, that you be filled with my joy. John 16, 24. Until now, you have not, not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive. I've, I've quoted that many times when it comes to prayer. But then it says, and your joy will be complete. John 17, 13. This is Jesus praying. He, we, call it, we call the Lord's Prayer, which, uh, the, 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 uh, which is our Father who art in heaven. That's actually not the Lord's Prayer. That's the disciples' prayer. The Lord's Prayer, when he prayed for us, is actually in John 17. Listen to Jesus' prayer to the Father for us. Of all things he was praying for, he was praying for endurance and praying for help and that, you, he would, that God would protect us. His disciples there, but also us even now, thousands of years later. Look at Jesus' prayer to heaven for us. He says, Father, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have a full measure of my joy within them. Here's what we learn. We learn that God is the most joyful being in the universe. If you read scripture and the teachings of Jesus, Jesus is a reflection of God the Father. Throughout scripture, he's like, I only do, I only say what I hear my Father saying, and I see my Father doing. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if Jesus is the happiest man alive, and he only does and reflects who God the Father is, it means that God the Father is the most joyful being in the universe. We even see joy in Genesis 1 with God starting creation. In Genesis 1, 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. It goes on, and he said, He made the earth and the skies, and it was good. And he made the animals, and it was Good and he made men and women and it was good. He made mountains and sunrises and sunsets and it was good. And you just see this, this joy of producing good things. And even since then, whenever things are created, you just can't help but be celebrating with joy, going, It's good. Like when they create, come on, good coffee. Can someone just amen? The joy of your first sip in the morning. Me and my wife have coffee every morning together, and no one enjoys coffee more than Nancy Miller does in the morning. It is good that we are here. When every time I open a baby bell cheese, come on, somebody, it is, it is good. And I don't take that for granted. I don't. I saw this. There's, there's vegan baby bells now, someone showed me. That's, that, you know what? Vegans should be happy, too, because they're sad people. They need something. <laughs> there's a reason why. They need joy and cheese. That's what they need. There's this picture of joyful creating good things, the joy of creating good things. 
It's interesting, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, God the Father, produced good things. Jesus was the most happiest, joyful man in the world. And the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, what grows out of your life when you're filled with the Holy Spirit is love, joy, and peace. A fruit of the Spirit is not sadness, though we experience sadness. It is real and needed. Grief is important. It's interesting, God the Father, God the Son, uh, even the Holy Spirit all experience grief. They're all grieved. They've all experienced sadness. It's not a sin to be sad. It's real. It's a part of our emotions. It's important. But it's interesting, their focus, their being, how they're known for is the joy of the Lord is our strength. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all experience all the negative emotions and pressures, but it's not their identity of who they are. Joy is at the center. One of the goals of heaven is for us to be more like Jesus. That's one of the goals of heaven. That's the goal of our church is to be more like heaven, more like God, to be more godly, more filled with the spirit, to become as joyful as he is. Even as Jesus prayed to his disciples about his apprentices, his disciples, that they would be, have my joy within them. You need to know this. It's Jesus' plan, please don't miss this, to fill you with joy. People always ask, man, I just need to know God's plan for my life. What's God's plan for my life? I need to get a word from God. I, I was just in um, the States, and I was at um, a conference, and people were talking about, I'm just trying to figure out God's plan for my life. I'm transitioning from this. To, I just got to figure out God's plan. I talk to young adults. I just got to figure out God's plan for my life. I talk to those that are retiring. What's God's plan for my life? I talk to those in the 30s and 40s. I'm wrestling with this business and this relationship and this situation. I just got to seek God for his plan for my life. Let me, let me just unpack what God's plan for your life is, that we would be full of joy. This is not an extrovert, introvert thing. This is not, well, they're given to be more happy. It is actually God's plan that we become more like Jesus. And Jesus, being the happiest man alive, reflected his father, who is the happiest being in the universe. It's God's plan that we're filled with joy, overflowing with joy. What's key to know is joy is not an emotion. An emotion is based on external circumstances, but it's rather a condition of the heart. This is important because you're thinking, I'm, just, I'm sad. I'm grieving. Those are real. But joy is more than an emotion. It isn't just an emotion because emotions are based on what happens around you. But it's actually a condition of the heart. Joy is a condition of the heart. Now, when we think heart, I don't know what you think, but let me just break down all of Scripture and unpack all the teachings of the Word of God and summarize what the Scripture says the heart is. Because you have a definition of what the heart is for you, but when it says seek the Lord with your whole heart, when it says that, uh, whenever it talks about heart, we unpack all the Scriptures. Let me summarize it into three points. What is the heart? Because joy is a condition of the heart. Well, the heart is three areas. One, it's our thinking. Two, it's our feelings. And three, it's our will. The heart is what we think about. It's what we're obsessed with. It's what goes through our, our mind. It's our daily thoughts. It's also our emotions, what we feel on a daily basis. And it's also our will, what we want and desire. Those three things, thinking, feelings, and our will, combine together to make the heart. And God wants joy to be a condition of the heart. This is more than moments of great happiness, but the overall maturity of being filled with joy of all time at all times. This is God's plan for us. So how do we grow in joyfulness? Because I'll be honest, we're struggling as a culture. 
There's no point coming here and smiling and singing songs if we're drowning in our emotions, in our pain, in our anxiety and depressions um, every day. And it, it's pointless to come here and put on a smile if we can't help those in our house, those in our lives, those in our circles. How do we as the church, if we would get a hold of this and we would change, it would overflow into every circle of influence we have. I need more joy of the Lord in my life. I would argue to say, instead of Andrew and Heather, you need more joy of the Lord in your life. How do we grow in joyfulness? Well, what some scholars call it, they put a definition in it, it's the spiritual discipline of celebration. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that, spirit, that term, but it's a, celebration is a spiritual discipline. Jesus started with celebration. His first sign, his first miracle, point to his purpose of celebrating. The New Testament calls it a different word, calls it rejoicing. It's a spiritual practice of celebration. Rejoice, I say, and again I say rejoice. It's a practice, a spiritual practice. Rejoice means, from its original language, to joy or celebrate. And it's interesting, it's not singular, it's plural, which means you do this with others. To celebrate, to, to, to rejoice, is not by yourself. It's actually finding people to celebrate, to rejoice with. It's a picture of something you don't do alone, with, with community, a feast, a party, a meal. Most of us don't think of joy as a discipline. We think of it as an overflow of circumstances. It's not. It's deeper than that. It's actually a decision and a discipline in our lives. We think of it as something that we wait to happen to us that we have no control over. Not an act of the will. Well, I'm just not feeling happy today. Just having a down day. Joy is more than that. It's an internal spiritual practice. Richard Foster writes this. He says, the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. It is not something that falls on our head. It is a result of consciously chosen way of thinking and living. It's not waiting for just like happiness to fall on you like, man, Someone paid for my Starbucks order ahead of me. Now I'm happy. It's not like the weather's really good today. Man, it got above negative zero and it's sunny. Oh, I just feel happy today. It's not, man, did you know I just won tickets on this trip? We're not waiting for something to fall out of the sky. It's actually an internal decision to set your mind and your will on the higher things of life. Choosing to celebrate is a spiritual discipline. Basic steps how to do this. Thinking is a spiritual, helps us grow joy in our life. Another way to put it, you set your mind on joy. See, you, you can't will joy. It's an emotion. And you can't will an emotion. You sit there going, I'm sad. You cannot stop being sad. You're not mentally weak. It's not because you don't have self-control. You can't will yourself to be happy. You can't will yourself to stop grieving. You can't will yourself not to have anxiety or fear. That is pressure and that is wrong. You cannot will an emotion. It's impossible. We don't have control over our emotions. And don't hear that I'm saying you need to change your emotions. You cannot control that. And if you hear that today, it'll heap guilt on you and pressure on you. We cannot will our emotions. But joy is more than an emotion. And so many are subject to living a life based on their emotions. I don't feel like staying married. I don't feel like going to work. I don't feel like getting out of bed. And the emotions are real. They're not always true, but they're real. But joy is more than an emotion. And we have control over our thought life. 
and what we set our attention on. And generally, our feelings follow our thinking. Let me say that again. Our feelings follow our thinking. Now, help me here. I know this is a little weird. Just close your eyes where you are. Everybody close your eyes. Some of you are like, I knew it was a cult. Here we go. Just, just, if you, you don't have to close your eyes, but if you want to, just close your eyes for a second. Now, I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine how far away spring is. Just think about it. Just think about slush. Think about how much slush we have to have. How many brown slush and black slush when the buses go by. Think about ice. Think about the cold wind and you don't know where your gloves are, and you haven't got the wipers fixed, you can't afford snow tires. This bitch, how do you start to feel right now? Sad. Frustrated. All right, also think this. Keep your eyes closed. Think about this. Think about interest rates. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Come on, online, do the same thing. Close your eyes. Think about the rising price of groceries and gas. You'll never afford a home if you don't have one. Think about that. What do you feel now? Anxiety, miserable, thank you. Fear. All right, now think about now think about the most beautiful place you've ever been in your life. Think about that trip. For me, it's it's it it it, it, it it's a certain valley in Kenya with with baobab trees and just, maybe it's a it's a river next to your house, maybe it's an island off the coast, maybe it's um, a, a city. Just picture something beautiful. Picture sitting there with a beautiful cup of coffee with the right artwork on top and the right playlist and the sound of, for me, it's the sound of cobblestone, people walking on cobblestones and the smell of coffee. And now what do you feel? You feel peace. Now think about God, someone who's filled with joy and love and peace, this creator of the universe, and he's obsessed with you in your life. He's, he's cheering for you. He's fighting for you. He loves you. Start thinking about the good things that he's done in your life that are true, that are beautiful, that are noble, that are good. Think about the food we're going to be eating in two weeks in our family dinner, empanadas and lasagna and KFC. And Think about these things. Now what do you start to feel? You start to feel joy, peace, happiness. See, our feelings, church, look at me, our feelings follow our thinking. You can't create, you can't change, you, you can't will your emotions to change. But there's something that happens in your heart because it's not just your emotions, it's also your thoughts and your will. Our feelings follow our thinking. You can't will yourself to feel joy, but you can will a thought life, please don't miss this, that produces joy. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Very famous scripture, 4 to 8. Always be full of the joy of the Lord. Some of you have never seen that before. Always before the joy of the Lord, not just when your team makes it, when the Eagles win last night in the NFL, not just when your, your hockey team wins, not just when you get a raise or on sunny, uh, sunny Fridays in the summer when the sun goes down at 9.30. It says, always before the joy of the Lord. I say it again because it's that important. Rejoice, which is celebrate with others. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. And then you'll, ex you'll experience God's peace. Then you'll experience the emotions of peace that exceeds anything you can understand. And his peace will guard our hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus, which is joy. Verse 8. Now, dear brothers and sisters, talking about the mind, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Right? I want you to be full of joy. Always be full of the joy. In fact, I say it again, rejoice. Now he's giving us some practical steps. Fix your thoughts on what is true, 
what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Do you see that there? We can't control our emotions. You cannot control your emotions, how you feel. But when we start to change the way we think and what we focus on, it starts to produce this joy, this peace that goes beyond all understanding. In fact, he says, in the first verse, it says, always, it was a command. It's not a suggestion. It's, hey, always be full of the joy of the Lord. Commands us. What's a few exercises to do this? In verse 6, it says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. It says, pray. That's why we pray, not because it's check a list going, I did my prayers in the morning, check. All right, I'm still a Christian because I prayed. No, 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 no. He's saying the joy that overfills, that, that over the brim, that overflows into our homes and our communities and our schools, that changes the world, that joy that is from, from, from God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, pray. And when you pray, thank God for what he's done and ask him for help. Release the illusion of control. When you pray, you're saying, it's not my, my saving of my bank account. It's not my intelligence. It's not my friend circle. When you pray, you're like, I'm releasing the, the illusion of control. God, you're in control. And I want to thank you for what you've done and ask you to step into my situation. Thankfulness for your life. Gratitude that he's our source and our go-to. I have a gratitude list. Almost every day I write down on my phone, I have a list. Today, I was just thankful for coffee. And thankful for snow tires. I'll be honest. I wrote down snow tires today. Some days it's deeper than that. It's relationships. It's, many times it's my family. It's whatever. But a gratitude list. It says, don't worry. Pray. Thank God and ask him for help. That's one step to order your mind. Verse 8 says this. Next step. And how to produce joy. It says, think about, meditate, obsess over all the good in the world. We tend to gravitate to the negative, don't we? Like... Like the wrong, bad, bad comments, the bad sticks to us like Velcro. Isn't it amazing how we're made that that happens? I've been preaching, I counted up last night, I'm, I'm closing in on 2,000 sermons in my lifetime. That's a, that's, a, that's, that's a fair amount of sermons. Traveled, I've been doing this for a long time. Do you know what's amazing, what sticks to me? I had one comment, I've had a few, but I had one negative comment about my preaching once. I ran into somebody, and they gave me a negative comment about my preaching. Do you know I think about that every single week before I walk out and pray and preach? Isn't it amazing? You can have 20 people say nothing about your outfit. You can have five people say something nice with that new sweater, new coat, new hat. And one person goes, eh, it's not my favorite color. And isn't it amazing how that sticks to your mind? You have somebody say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Someone tell you how hard you work, you're brilliant. And one person say that you're lazy as a child, and you remember that moment, that person called you lazy or worthless. Why is it the negative sticks like Velcro? That's why the Bible says we have to obsess with the positive and the good news. The anxiety that I was facing in my life, you know, one thing I did, one thing I did, is I stopped watching the news. Well, Mike, you need to be informed. Yeah, I read the news. But the tone and the, it, it's clickbait. You know this, right? Like it never starts with good news. And then if, they, if it's, a, if it's a not really a bad news story, then they'll, click, they'll, they'll clickbait, they'll tie it to a celebrity so that you want to click. It had nothing to do with a celebrity, but they want you to get in there. Good news is hard to find. And I got rid of some of the bad news in my life because I found it was producing anxiety and depression and sadness and fear 
because I have to obsess about good things. Proverbs 23.7 says it this way, as a man thinks, so is he. So we have a culture that's obsessed with depression and anxiety and the drowning in sadness. Could it be that we are go back to our thoughts and what we focus on is producing this fear, sadness, and anxiety and depression? Because you can't control the feeling. Do not think you're, you're, you're strong enough to go, I'm not going to feel sad today. I'm not going to feel fear today. We can't do that. But could it be that God designed us as we focus our thoughts and what comes into our mind, says focus on these things. Another verse says, cast down vain imaginations. Why? Because what starts in the mind travels to the heart. The heart is our will, our emotions, and our thoughts. Jesus, full of joy. It says he set his eyes, he set his mind on the things to come for the joy of the Lord was his strength. What was he thinking about? Us. He was about to go into a very hard time, a painful season of the cross. And it says he was obsessed with your face and my face and the disciples' faces and the church that was going to be born. And as he focused, the joy of the Lord was his strength. The joy overwhelmed him, which was more than happiness in a, in a moment. It was a decision of the will that overflowed him. And for the joy, he endured the cross. I, I believe we're in a... Supply chain shortage of joy in our culture. And could it be that Jesus has a plan for it? We have to discipline ourselves to focus on the good in our life and the world. There can't be a worse way to start our days when you wake up at 5, 6, 7, whenever you wake up, than to check your phone by your bed. Think about this. How we, think about how we start our days. You, open, you pick up that phone with emails, texts, and social media, your alarm goes off, whatever time your alarm goes off, you check your phone, and all of a sudden, before you've had a chance to think about anything, set your direction, there's that text from that boss going, hey, that deadline needs to be met today, you're behind. There's that reminder, you've got to get that project done, that email sent. There's a, a friend that you noticed left you unread and didn't reply to that really vulnerable text, and that helps start your day. Or social media, focusing on what you don't have or what they do have. Or a news feed comes up, some celebrity died, or some bomb landed, or some storm is coming. And we start our day like that, and we wonder why we struggle. It's a recipe for anxiety, depression. And God's saying, no, no, you need to order your steps. You need to order your day. You need to understand that you need to obsess with what is pure, what is true, what is noble, what is good. Because you cannot will your emotions. But if you order your thoughts, it overflows into our hearts. Choosing to practice spiritual discipline of celebration. I wrote down some examples of how you can grow the spiritual discipline of celebration. Because I believe it is a discipline. We think about prayer and devotions. Joy, rejoicing, celebrating is a spiritual discipline. I think we do this fairly well as a church, but we're going to get better at it. Not because we're just the hype. They're just really positive. No, no, no. There is a joy. How do you practice the spiritual discipline of celebrating? Go to church and celebrate goodness of God with others. When we come here and we sing with the goodness of God, what we're doing, we're focusing our mind that we're going to make room for him, that, that he's faithful, he's my firm foundation, this is my testimony, I surrender all. When we start to sing together, something starts to happen together, a joyfulness comes, we practice celebration of gathering together. Listen to good music. Sing like no one's listening. I do the dishes with my headphones in, listen to Need to Breathe. 
and Abba. I'm not a dancing queen, but I'm a dancing pastor in the kitchen as I'm listening to Need to Breathe or Abba. Why? Because if I'm going to do the dishes, it's amazing how it affects my joy. That's my time. Just know I got the kitchen. I got the kitchen. I just blast the music. Me and Cooper, I put it on the speaker. Me and Cooper just enjoy some Need to Breathe. Get some good music. The discipline of celebrating. Get outside in nature. My wife loves our bottom patio of our house. There's snow. She ripped the Christmas lights off our house yesterday out front and put them in the back of our house underneath the patio. I get up, the, she's like, I've been waiting for you. I have coffee. I'm like, what? It's snow. She's like, isn't it beautiful? I'm like, not really. Come out, she has chairs and she has coffee and she has Christmas lights. She goes, isn't it amazing? I'm like, sort of. And as I was out there, I started feeling some joy. I'm like, oh, this isn't so bad. Get outside. Find things that make you laugh. We watched a comedy last night. We laughed. We laughed so hard last night. My belly hurts this morning. Find things that make you laugh. Celebrate birthdays, every chance you get, anniversaries. Take time off from work. Relax. Take your day off. Take vacations. Celebrate holidays. Host parties. It's all a spiritual discipline of celebration. Practice gratitude. Write a list. Write it down in your phone or in your notebook. Something you're thankful for. Start doing that about your spouse, what you're thankful for every day about your spouse. You watch how it will start to grow the joy in your marriage. Hang out with joyful people. Don't know any? Go find some at coffee right when we're done. There's some. You'll find Andrew. I don't know if Heather's here. There's some joyful people. Find joyful people to hang around. Focus on good things as we experience bad things. We experience them. We feel them. We don't let them define us or direct us. Grief is real. Death is real. Pain is real. And we will all go through it. But look, focus on the good things. And the best one is meals with family and friends. It's interesting in scripture, it never shows Jesus singing. It never talks about him dancing to Abba. Though he prayed to his Abba father. He, it doesn't say that he had playlists, or, but it does say he ate. That was his go-to celebration. Meals together. It produces joy. This is more easier than for some than others. Some of you, you're like, you struggle with joy. Some of you, it's not as hard. If we practice the spiritual discipline of focusing, putting in your mind, that's why you read your Bible. Not because it's duty, but because it's like, you know what? If I don't order my steps, the world will. If we start our day checking our phones and, and, and emails and traffic, you wonder why our days are full of anxiety and fear. But if we start our days focused on the goodness of God, in the presence of God, the most joyful being in the universe, it can't help but start your day different. It's a decision to order my mind, my atmosphere, and my surroundings, and to practice celebrating. That's helping. So here's going to be our altar call today. We're going to sing in a moment. When you leave here, invite someone to go eat now. Some of you, you have time, and maybe you, it doesn't got to be a big meal. It can be Subway. Slice of pizza. Go invite, you know what? I need to invite someone to go eat right now. Some of you, it's invite someone over tonight. Some of you, it's to plan a coffee date. I'm going to text you. We're going to go for coffee this week. We're going to go for tea this week. Practice. Put it into practice now. And when you're there, don't talk about the bad weather or bad inflation or whatever. Focus on the good things that God is doing in your life. Are we denying the pain? No. We're saying, no, it's there, but I'm focusing my mind on things that are noble, true, and just, and lovely, 
and then I will be full of the joy. Again, I'm going to say it, rejoice. Always be full of joy. As I take my will and my thoughts, it will overflow into my emotions. Church, that's why hospitality is huge in the church. When we start to celebrate and embrace, something starts to happen. It's more than a meal. It's a spiritual practice that builds joy. If there's anything the world needs right now, it's not another preacher. It's not another set list. It's not another service. We need real joy overflowing into every, every school, every classroom, every, every, every boardroom, every mall, every street corner. The real joy of the Lord because it's our strength. Amen? Come on, stand to our feet today. Now, would you lead us in this song today? If you're comfortable today, could you just close your eyes for a moment? Let's focus set our minds on the things of heaven. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. You're worthy of it all. Come on, let's set our mind on heaven right now. Fix your thoughts on what is true, 
what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Verse 4. And always be full, full of the joy of the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. Celebrate. Practice celebrating. And watch what God will do. Amen. Father, I bless us right now with your presence. God, I pray for our minds right now. Father, as we deal with grief and sadness and real trials, may our thoughts be focused on what we do have, on who we have, on your goodness. And I pray, Father, there would be a joy that would fill our wills, our emotions, and our thoughts that would change our lives, our city, and our world. In Jesus' name, and everybody said family dinner on the 5th if you want to bring something and you do sign up at the guest central coffee is flowing go celebrate go enjoy each other God is good and we'll see you next Sunday morning and we'll see you Tuesday night at prayer at Full Gospel Church God bless